Hey, it's good to see you guys again. I missed y'all last week. We, were, uh, we took a little family vacay, took my kids up to Great Wolf Lodge. Anybody ever been to Great Wolf Lodge? It's such a legit spot, dude. Like, I don't know why they didn't have this when I was like 12, you know, I, or like four. My four-year-old had a blast. It was so cool. Um, but hey, I want to, um, I, I just want to say thank you guys for uh, holding down the fort, man. You guys did awesome. Heard wa- worship was awesome. Scroggins preached. That's always awesome. So, uh, man, that's cool. I heard we got some folks baptized this week. We got some more folks getting baptized this week. And so, uh, in fact, at the end of service, we're going to give you guys an opportunity. If you want to get baptized, man, tonight is your night. We want to give you an opportunity to do that. And um, hey, but before we do that, you guys have to endure me preaching. So we're going to jump right into, uh, right back into the sermon series about salt and light that we started a couple of weeks ago. We are talking about how we differ from the rest of the world. We're called to look different, sound different. We're called to be different as the children of the living God here on earth. And so today, I want to talk to you guys about an area that all of us need to improve in, myself included, because we need to, we need to look like God in this area. And so we've talked about being salt and light and how we work. Because our work is worship. Amen? The Lord has you where you're at for a reason. And you can honor the Lord. Even if you have a terrible job, you can honor the Lord with a terrible job. By doing a great job at a terrible job. Amen? Right? Okay? We, we talked last week about how um, most of the world would say that we repay evil with evil. But Jesus says that we repay evil with good. How do we, how do we stand out amongst others? Man, we do what Jesus said to do. Right? And we act, we act like Jesus would want us to act. Well, tonight, because I believe that we are all created in God's image, I believe that we were created to be generous. And part of the way that we stand out in this world as salt and light is through our generosity. And so, I think that we ought to be generous because what we know is that we serve a very generous God, don't we? We serve a very generous God. The truth is that... that Okay, think about this. We would love for someone, maybe one day at our funeral, to say that we're a giving, we were a giving person, right? Okay, because honestly, think about the opposite. Like, he wasn't giving at all. He was a greedy, stingy fool, you know? Like, I mean, nobody wants that on their tombstone. Here lies the stingiest man to ever live. He lived 80 years, made millions of dollars, gave zero away. Nobody wants that on their tombstone, right? But, but everybody would love to hear that he was a giving, generous person. We want for people to say that about us, right? It, 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 how many of you have ever heard that it's better to give than receive? You've heard that? Did you know that Jesus said that? Paul tells us in Acts 20, that was actually something Jesus said, like, Jesus kind of knows what he's talking about. At least we think he does. Okay, I, I'll prove this to you. Um, almost everyone in here wants to be generous. So, how many of you at Christmas time, the best part of Christmas time is opening your presents? Okay, there's a couple of you like, I love opening presents, okay? But how many of you like, okay, my family used to do this really awkward thing where they made each one of us open our presents at a time. And so it was like, I had to sit there and open my presence, and everyone's just looking at me. And it's just awkward, right? Because honestly, the best thing about Christmas is watching the ones that you love open the present you gave them, right? Like, that's the coolest thing about Christmas. Now that I'm a dad, I totally get this on a much greater scale, right? And I'm told that once you become grandparents, it's even better. But we, we love 
to, we, we love to give and we love to see the reaction on people's faces when we give them something that they want, that they love, that they're excited about. You know, we, we, um, and I believe that this comes from us being made in God's likeness. The same God who, John 3.16 says, God so loved the world that he gave, right? He gave us Jesus. But I will say this, for young adults, I think there's a bit of a misconception about generosity and giving. Because there's a tendency to think that when you, when you get more, that you'll give more. How many of you, like, you, you can genuinely say that? You're like, Heath, I work for, like, minimum wage, and rent's expensive, and so is gas, right? And occasionally I get to eat. So when I get some more, I'll be happy to give some more, right? When I get something other than PB&Js, I will give some more. By the way, uh, thank you for taking part in the PB&J fundraiser. That was awesome, by the way. We made several hundred bucks for missions. Good job, guys. That's, that's what we're supposed to do. That's phenomenal. <clears throat> what I want you to see tonight is that generosity isn't based on what you have in your hands, but how much you have in your heart. See, your generosity is not determined by what you have in your hands, but instead, rather, it is determined by what is in your heart. Because the more God you have in your heart, the more generous you become. Because, let's face it, God is the most generous being to ever live. Amen? He gave us the most valuable gift, Jesus, right? And he gave all. So we're going to start off tonight with a couple of stories out of the New Testament. And we're going to look at a couple of instances of giving where, um, where, where Jesus actually celebrates giving in the New Testament. Okay? And, and the first one is, is uh, both of these actually are from, from a couple of women who had much in their heart. They loved the Lord. And so the first one we're going to look at is in John chapter 12. Uh, the scripture will be up on screen. If you've got your Bible, turn there. If you've got your phone, flip there. Do whatever you need to do. John 12 verses 1 through 8 says this, six days before the Passover, this is just before Jesus' death, okay? Just a few days before Jesus' death. Six days before the Passover, Jesus came to Bethany, that's a town, not a, not a woman, okay, where Lazarus lived, whom Jesus had raised from the dead. Here, a dinner was given in Jesus' honor. Martha served while Lazarus was among those reclining at the table with him. Then Mary took about a pint of pure nard, an expensive perfume. She poured it on Jesus' feet and wiped his feet with her hair. And the house was filled with the fragrance of the perfume. But one of his disciples, Judas Iscariot, who was later to betray Jesus, objected. It smells like roses in here. Who did that? No, that's what I say when my wife starts using Bath and Body Works perfume, right? I'm like... She's like, here, use this. I'm like, now it just smells like fart and roses, you know? That stuff doesn't cover up stink. By the way, guys, you got to clean and then use the smell good, all right? Get the stink off, then put the smell good on, all right? That's the rules, all right? So Judah says, why wasn't this perfume sold and the money given to the poor? It was worth a year's wages. He did not say this because he cared about the poor, but because he was a thief. As a keeper of the money bag, he used to help himself to what was put into it. Leave her alone, Jesus replied. It was intended that she should save this perfume for the day of my burial. You will always have the poor among you, but you will not always have me. Now, there's a small detail in there that you might have missed just in reading through there at the end of verse 5. The amount of money that this perfume that was just poured out on the feet of Jesus, the amount of money this perfume was worth was an entire year's worth of wages. So, here we are. We're just a few days from April 15th. Um, you guys, at least some of you, if you work, you've probably had to file some taxes, okay? 
So, um, and on that tax form, you are required to add up everything that you made last year, right? Now, okay, uh, how many of you would agree that if you were to take everything, the entire amount that you made last year, and you were to give that in one lump sum offering, that would be a pretty extravagant offering, right? Some of you guys are like, Heath, I made like 10 bucks, man. It's really not that good. No, I, I get it, okay? But how many, like, no matter how much you made last year, if you felt so inclined to give that entire amount in one lump sum offering, how many of you would say that would be an extravagant gift? Right? So Mary gives this type of extravagant gift, a year's worth of wages, okay? So let's just say right now, she, you know, let's just claim that Mary is, um, is making as much as, you know, some of you guys are going to exit college making about 35 grand a year. She takes that and she pours it on the feet of Jesus as an extravagant offering to her Lord. Now, why would she do that? Because whether you're a rich businessman that makes a whole lot of money in one year, or you're a poor college student that makes very little in a year, giving everything that you've made in a year is a pretty big sacrifice. Why in the world would Mary do that? Well, here's what we know about Mary. Um, Mary is the same woman who had seven demons cast out of her. Now, how many of you would agree one demon is too much? (laughs) Right? Like, get out, yo. Right? Like, she had seven And Jesus cast all seven out of her, gave her a completely new life, okay? She has a brother named Lazarus that we found out at the beginning of of chapter 12 here. Um, If you go read in the Gospels, Jesus raised Lazarus from the dead, y'all. Like, I'm not talking like he's sick and needs to be healed. I'm talking like he's sick, dead, we put him in the grave, and Jesus is like, get him out of that grave, and he comes to life. Now, how many of you would be grateful if Jesus had done those things for you? So out of a grateful heart, do you think that Mary for an instant hesitated when it came to giving an extravagant gift to Jesus? Or do you think she saw something like this perfume that she had been saving up, a year's worth of wages? And though she doesn't even know the full extent, what we know about this perfume is that she pours this perfume on the feet of Jesus. And Jesus gives them a little hint. He says, this was intended for the day of my burial. What we know about Jesus is that he was actually die- he died. And they didn't get to anoint his body and wrap him in spices and perfumes and all that stuff. Like they would have normally done to any other Jewish man. Because he died just before the Sabbath. There wasn't time. He went straight into the grave. She was the only one that actually anointed Jesus' body before his death. This extravagant gift is the thing that if you, if you read later in the Gospels, Jesus says this. He, he tells all the men in that room, he says, listen, y'all quit hating on her because let me tell you something. For as long as this gospel is preached, what she's done will be told. This will go on for as long as this gospel is preached. The gift that she has given is so great. And it came from this place in her heart where I promise you she did not hesitate for a second to give Jesus an extravagant offering. There's a generosity that wells up in your heart, isn't there? When you begin to think about what Jesus has done. When Jesus has moved in that kind of way in your life. When he's given you new life. Generosity begins to rise up within you. A generosity that matches. That that mimics the generosity of our Heavenly Father. 
it just seems to me that we, when we consider what God has done for us, the only proper response is indeed generosity. I want to look at another story. In Luke 21, Jesus is teaching in the temple courts. Okay, he walks into their would-be church during that day. He's teaching in the temple courts, and they didn't take up offering like we did. They didn't pass a bucket around. In fact, there was more like a bucket up here on the stage, and if you wanted to give something to the Lord, you would walk forward, you would toss your offering in the bucket, and then you would leave. It was kind of more of a public thing. Like we think, oh, it's my money, that's between me and God, you know, that kind of thing. That wasn't really the system back then. And so you could really kind of see what people were giving during that time. And in fact, because of that, a lot of rich people would come up and they would give a lot and they were proud to give a lot, right? Now, I think some of them, they were happy to give a lot because the Lord had blessed them. Some of them wanted to, be, wanted to show off a little bit by giving a lot, right? Because it was a public thing, okay? Jesus, in standing there in the temple courts, it says this in Luke 21, 1 through 4, as Jesus looked up, He saw the rich putting their gifts into the temple treasury. He also saw a poor widow put in two very small copper coins. Truly I tell you, he said, this widow has put in more than all the others. All those people gave their gifts out of their wealth. She gave out of her poverty and she put in all she had to live on. Now this is kind of a contrasting story, right? Because if you really look at what the value of what this woman is giving, these coins are worth less than a penny, is, is really what we kind of think as far as scholars are concerned. We think that she's literally giving cents, and Jesus is celebrating her giving, isn't he? So Mary gives a year's worth of wages at the house of Lazarus, and Jesus celebrates it. Then a poor widow gives two small coins, and again, Jesus celebrates that, so Why would he do that? Well, listen, I assure you it had nothing to do with the amount of the coins, right? There's got to be more to that story, but I think it's because of the faith that that widow had in that moment. See, I think as far as God is concerned, when we're giving with the right heart, the amount is far less than the condition of our heart. The amount is far less important than the condition of our heart in our giving. So, As far as God's concerned, extravagant gifts from a rich man are equivalent to two small coins from a widow. He equates those two things when it comes to giving and generosity. But this widow was operating in faith. After all, she didn't just give, she gave all that she had to live on. So they didn't operate on a welfare system like we have in America today. So what I'm envisioning is that this widow has been out begging all day, and what she has received is a couple of cents. And she comes to the Lord knowing a couple of cents isn't going to be enough. And she gives it all. She places her faith in her God. Knowing I can't eat on a couple of cents. God, you're my only hope. She's literally placing her faith in the Lord. Out of her poverty, she gave all she had to live on. This widow knew something that I hope you catch a glimpse of tonight. And it's that when you place your faith in the Lord, when you place your faith in God, he never lets you down. He never lets you down. She's giving all she had to live on, and she's just doing that in faith. And Jesus actually celebrates that small gift because of her faith. So I think if we're called to be salt and light, we need to inspect how do we handle 
our giving? How do we handle our generosity? How do we handle, as the children of God, our finances? What is the proper God-honoring way to handle money? Not just later, like when you graduate and you start, you know, making real money, you know, big boy money. Um, but, but how do we honor God now? Like, when we're making as much as a poor widow, how, you know, can we still honor God in that instance, right? So, some of you guys are like, he thought I didn't have a job. Well, your, your day's coming, okay? Like, it, it'll get there. Learn it now. How do we honor the Lord with the finances that we have right now? Well, I don't have a year's worth of wages saved up. I don't know if you do. So I'm probably not giving a year's worth of wages away, right? But there there are ways that we can look at how to actually honor God with what we've got right now. No matter how much you make, no matter how much you've got, there's a faithful, God honoring way to handle our finances. So tonight, We're going to look at this thing called a tithe. Now, this is the part where some of you guys, like, you clam up and you're mad because I'm talking about money, okay? Like, you're like, oh boy, preacher talking about money. Um, Listen, here's the truth. If you don't like me talking about money, um, you're not going to like what Jesus had to say either because if I preached on tithing and money and stewardship as much as Jesus, I would preach on it every other week. Like, that's how important Jesus took this topic compared to every other topic that he, that he talked about in the Bible. Like, think about that. Every other week, I'd be up here talking about stewardship and money. So, if you don't like me talking about it, I don't recommend reading the New Testament. Um, you're not going to like Jesus either. But um, Jesus is actually a pretty cool guy. You should actually read the New Testament. Don't let me discourage you. But here's the thing. Jesus covered this topic regularly. And I think there's value if we understand godly principles in our, in, in, in our finances. So I, as your pastor, I want for you to understand how to live a God-honoring life, how to handle your finances properly in a way that when you get to heaven, you hear, well done, good and faithful servant. I feel like, to be honest with you, I feel like we probably just need to start with some of the basics tonight. And so tonight, we're going to jump into this thing called a tithe. We're going to go into the Old Testament, and, and I, want you to see how, uh, I want you to see how God lays out how he feels about the tithe and how we ought to treat the tithe. Did you know that in the Old Testament, um, there's actually three different levels of giving? The first level is your tithe, tithing. The second level is offering. The third level is extravagant offering, okay? So... Tithe, if we were to literally just define this, all right, um, if we were just to translate it straight into English, it would mean one-tenth. That's where we get this idea of a 10% tithe from. It's just a biblical term, means one-tenth. And so when, when we read tithe, you got to understand God is, is literally saying the tenth. And he just knows this is the first tenth of your income. This is what he's talking about. So tithe is actually the very first level of giving that we see in the Old Testament. This is the most basic level of giving. So there's a portion in Malachi chapter 3 verses 6 to 11 in the Old Testament where God kind of lays out how he feels about the tithe. He says this, For I am the Lord, I do not change. Therefore, you are not consumed, O sons of Jacob. All right, so let me just point this out real quick. When God says, I do not change, um, therefore, you are not consumed, what he's really saying there is, I've always been nice, and I'm going to continue being nice, so I'm not going to take you out. 
O sons of Jacob, right? And he's talking to his people. He's talking to the people of God. The sons of Jacob are the people of God. And he's like, listen, I'm a really gracious God and I don't change, but there's something wrong, but I'm not going to take you out for it, but I'm a little peeved right now. How many of you ever had that conversation with your dad? And your dad's like boiling and he's like, I'm not going to hurt you, but we need to talk, right? That's what God's doing right now. He's like, I love you, but we need to talk, all right? Something's going on, right? This is, this is what I'm envisioning God being like, okay? So <clears throat> he says this, verse 7. Yet from the days of your fathers, you have gone away from my ordinances and have kept not them. Return to me and I will return to you, said the Lord of hosts. I want for you to recognize these guys are messing up the tithe, okay? This is why God is talking to them. They're messing it up. But notice this word ordinances in verse 7. You've gone away from my ordinances and have not kept them. If we were to translate that word ordinances, you would come up with this idea. It's not in the Ten Commandments. It's not a law that God set into reality. An ordinance is defined like this. It's a task, something you're responsible to do. It's a boundary. It's maybe a law of government that doesn't uh, supersede the laws of God, but, but this is not actually a law of God. These are, these are general rules or guidelines that you're expected to follow within a certain community. These are what ordinances are, okay? Most of you understand the ordinance that, well, while I'm preaching, you listen, okay? How many of you would agree that if everybody was talking right now, it would be chaos, right? So there's kind of a, an unwritten rule, if you will, that, hey, during this time, we honor the preaching of the Word of God, and we're going to listen for a little while, okay? So <clears throat> these are ordinary principles. Ordinances are ordinary principles within a home or a community. Ordinary principles by which we live. So I'll put it like this. Um, when you use the toilet, it's not in the Ten Commandments that you should flush, but how many of you know it's the right thing to do, right? The next guy's going to appreciate you. The owner of the toilet is really going to appreciate that you flushed the toilet when you finished what you were doing in there, okay? It's expected of you, right? You don't, you don't have to flush, but if you don't, the owner's going to be pretty mad, okay? So when it comes to your finances, as a member of God's household, as a steward of God's money that has been placed in your hands... There are certain ordinances or expectations that God has for us. And what we're reading about here is a group of God's people that were not keeping the ordinances that God had instructed for them to keep. And remember, okay, because I, I hear this a lot. People will say like, well, Heath, isn't tithe just an Old Testament issue? You got to remember, the Lord started out saying, I am the Lord, I do not change. And they'll go, yeah, but Heath, that was just under the law, okay? Really religious people will say this. I love having this conversation because then I go, really? Because I thought it existed in the garden, it existed in the desert, it existed in Egypt, it existed all of these other places, not just in the law. It was mentioned in the law because God wrote out some normal ordinances that you should live by. But let me tell you something. Tithing towards the Lord has gone back all the way to Abraham, the very father of our faith. And then it's something that Jesus and the apostles celebrated throughout the New Testament. So tithing is not just an Old Testament thing. It's something that literally spans the width of the entire Bible. Okay? So it's not just an Old Testament issue. He is the Lord. He doesn't change. He still has the same expectations of how we're to be good stewards 
of our finances. Let's continue on and see what God said about these people. <clears throat> You've said, these get, this is them speaking to God, in what, sh- in what way shall we return to God? God responds, will a man rob God? Yet you have robbed me. But you say, in what way have we robbed you, God? In tithes and offerings. You were cursed with a curse, for you have robbed me, even this whole nation. Verse 10, bring all the tithes into the storehouse. Notice verse 10 starts with bring. Bring all the tithes into the storehouse that there may be food in my house. And try me now in this, says the Lord. If I will not open the, see if I will not open for you the windows of heaven and pour out for you such a blessing that there will not be room enough to receive it. And I will rebuke the devourer for your sakes, so that he will not destroy the fruit of your ground, nor shall the vine fail to bear fruit for you in the field, says the Lord of hosts. So, the tithe, literally translated one-tenth, is an ordinance. It's an ordinary principle of how we treat one-tenth of our income. A tithe for God's people should be a principle. Tithing to the Lord should be a principle for God's people. So, I want you to see here, verse 10 starts out with bring the tithe into the storehouse. Why does God say bring rather than give? Well, the truth is, everything that's been placed into your hands was God's to begin with. He gave it to you, okay? And he, he expects for you to bring back 10% of what's been placed in your hands. The reason he uses the word bring, not give, is because you can't give what isn't yours to start with. Right? You don't get to give away what's not yours. It was God's to begin with, and a tenth is still God's. And so he says, bring it back to the storehouse. Okay? That you, you, you guys catching that? The difference in bring and give? The tenth was never ours to begin with. So God actually says that keeping the tithe is stealing from him. Now that sounds harsh, but let me illustrate it like this. Um, all right, let's do this. Um, if I were to... Sam, come here. Come here, brother. Um, Sam's a sexy beast. And uh, I just want to bring him up here because he makes me look good. All right? Um, so let, let's do it like this. Let's say that I have... My brother Sam here, okay? And I trust Sam. Sam is a good dude. Maui, come here. You live with Sam. Y'all, y'all have like Studville going on at your house. Come here, all right? Y'all are going to make me look good today, okay, brother? Now, I got Andrew. Maui, I love Maui. I trust Maui, okay? And I listen, I've got to go away on a business trip. And I'm going to make a lot of money on this business trip, Okay? And so here's how this is going to work, guys. Here's what's going to happen. I'm going to go away. I'm going to make a lot of money, all right? But I'm leaving my wife and kids here, okay? And I need for you, I'm going to send you a lot of money every month, okay? Each one of you. I need for you to take 10% of what I send you and go give it to my wife. First thing you do when I send you that money is go give that 10% to my wife. Can you handle that? Okay. So this goes on. Few months down the road, I'm talking to my wife and I say, Hey babe, how you doing? She's like, Well, I'm doing okay, but I'm a little short on rent. 
And I'm like, what do you mean? I've been sending money your way. How are you short on rent? Well, have you seen Maui lately? Yeah, Maui, I see him on the first of every month. He brings me 10% of what I give, what you give him every single month. I said, well, what about Sam? Well, Sam started out bringing 10%. In fact, the first month he showed up on the first. That was awesome. The next month he showed up on about the 10th of the month. And he brought me my 10%. And then last month he didn't bring me nothing. I can explain. Now, I asked these guys to take 10% of what I gave them and give them to my bride. And if you go read in the New Testament, the church is called the bride of Christ. And the Lord is placing things in your hand. And he's literally saying, all I expect from you is to take 10% of what I place in your hands and go give it to my bride. Now, how many of you would agree that Sam, when he doesn't show up that month, and give my wife 10% of what I gave him. He's stealing from me, is he not? It, so, <laughs> thank you guys. He's not a thief. I love these guys. You guys are awesome. Thank you. So, give him a hand. Yeah, give him a hand. Make him feel better. So, do you see how even though the language is kind of harsh... God is literally saying, I asked you to bring 10% back to the storehouse is what he calls it. That's the church in their day. And he says, I asked you to bring back 10% to my bride. But you're not doing it. So he literally says, you're stealing from me. So I, I understand that's a harsh language, but, but literally, whenever we recognize that God has literally given you everything that enters into your hand. And he said, I want you to do something with this 10%. Bring it back to the church. And then he says, the other 90 you can do whatever you want with. It's totally up to you. But honor me with the first 10% by doing what I asked you to do. Maybe, maybe this illustration will help you understand a parable that Jesus tells in Matthew 25. See, Matthew 25, is a, Jesus tells this parable. A parable is just a story with a spiritual implication, okay? So it's a story with a spiritual meaning. Jesus is telling this story, and he says, hey, listen, a businessman went off on a trip. He gave one of his servants five bags of gold. He gave another one of his servants two bags of gold, and another one of his servants one bag of gold. And he said, hey, steward this for me while I'm away. The guy who had five bags of gold, he says, let's put this up there, guys. Matthew 25, 23. Um, the, the guy that has five bags of gold, he says, uh, whenever the, the businessman came back, the guy with five bags of gold said, hey, listen, I put the money that you gave me to work, and I brought back five more. Great. He says, come enjoy the blessing of your master. The guy with two bags, same thing. Listen, the second you gave me those two bags, I went out and I invested that, and I put that money to work, and I brought you two bags more. Great. Come enjoy the blessing of your master. The one with one bag comes back and he says, listen, um, I know you're kind of a jerk whenever it comes to doing business. And I was really afraid to lose your money, so I didn't do nothing with it. I just went out back and buried it. I know you told me to put it to work, but I just buried it because I wanted to give it back to you whenever you came back. And and the, the owner literally gets mad and he says, take the bag from that man, kick him out, and give the man with five bags the other bag. And then Jesus makes this statement. Well done, good and faithful servant. You have been faithful over a few things. I will make you ruler over many things. Enter into the joy of the Lord. Now, if I can roll right back to my illustration with Sam and Maui. 
I've been giving them a certain amount of money to pass on to my wife. And when I need more money to go to my wife, do you think I'm giving it to Maui or do you think I'm giving it to Sam? (laughs) Because the one who was faithful with the little bit that I started out giving him will be given more. You understand? The one who did what I asked him to do with the money, that's the one I'm going to trust with more. See, I have this theory that God, you know, God has, he's got a lot of children, okay? Um, Literally, if you were to count, it would be in the billions of the number of Christians that are on the face of the earth right now. The problem is, a lot of them don't understand this principle. And God's got a lot of money. And a lot of people want God to get money to them, but they don't want God to to give money through them. And so God's on a search for people, not that he can get money to, but that he can give money through. And that's the difference in, in, in how God can trust you. Can God trust you with what he gives you? So when God says, do what I said with the money, you actually do it. And it starts out with the little things. 10%, the tithe, that's the basic level one of giving. Tithes, then offerings, then extravagant offerings. This is a concept, guys, that, that I learned early on. And, and I hope that you catch my heart tonight. You guys got to understand, like, I don't get paid by what you give. Do, do you understand that? Like, if you come in here, and, and some of you guys are tithers to, uh, to Chi Alpha because you consider this your church. Listen, if you go to another church, let me encourage you to tithe to your home church. We are a parachurch organization, okay? We're not the storehouse. We're not the place that people come for help. We're a poor, you know, ramen, eat, ramen noodle eating college student ministry, okay? Like, we don't have a storehouse, right? And I don't make enough off of your tithe. I, we're, we're missionaries. You see staff up here? We are missionaries. We raise money to do this because you guys don't tithe nothing. Y'all are horrible, okay? So whenever it comes to making money, all right? That will change one day if you'll figure out this principle, if you'll figure out how to, how to honor the Lord while he's given you a little, he can trust you one day with much. If you don't figure out the little, okay, I want you to notice something. Um, let's pull up uh, Malachi 3 verse 10 again, please. So if I bring my tithe to God, if I seek first the kingdom and his righteousness and all of these other things are added, see, what I figured out a long time ago is that if I tithe 10%, and I seek first the kingdom. If I do that first before I pay all my other bills, it's up to God to make sure all my bills are paid for. As long as I'm wise and living by godly standards and I'm placing my faith in the Lord, he's literally said, test me in this, says the Lord. Test me, try me in this is what it says up here on the screen. So, actually it says that earlier, right? Yeah. It says that earlier. Okay, wrong, wrong. I'm sorry, I got the wrong verse up there. But look at what he says that he will do. Okay? If you were to go read uh, Malachi 3 in the NIV, the Lord literally says this. It's the only time in the entire Bible he says this. He says, test me in this and see if it ain't so. Test me in this and see. If you tithe first, if I don't, let's see how it is. Um, Open the windows of heaven and pour out blessing. See if I don't rebuke the devourer. What's he saying there? Open the windows of heaven. I'm going to bring you more. Because you're faithful with what you've been given. And then he says, I'm going to rebuke the devourer. What does that mean? That means like, I'm going to 
I'm going to keep what you've got from spoiling or going bad. So some of you guys, like, here's, here's, what, here's what happens. You get a blowout, and it costs you an extra 100 bucks that month. And because you don't tithe, you're relying totally on your ability to pay all of your bills. Because God's word has tested him in this, and you've never tested him in this. You're just doing it on your own. You're placing your own faith in you, and so you have a blowout, it costs you an extra hundred bucks, and now you're short on rent. And you have to go do something crazy to get the extra money, to get the extra hundred bucks. See, what I figured out a long time ago is that if I'm tithing, it's God's job to make sure my tires last as long as they're supposed to last. Because he protects what I've got from the devourer. Do you understand that? You guys following this? Okay. I, I, can't, I can tell you stories of missionaries that have served right here in Chi Alpha that had trucks that lasted on one tank of gas twice as long as it was supposed to last. How does that happen? How, like an 87 Chevrolet pickup doesn't suddenly get better fuel mileage. Right? But when the Lord's on your side and you're faithful to him... He takes care of you. And guys, I I hope you catch my heart in this. I learned this from a very early age. Okay, I got saved when I was 16. I was mowing grass. And I had a man who taught me this principle. And I just learned it from very early on. Okay, I made 25 bucks over there. 250 goes to God. Done. I I just figured that out. And I'm the guy that genuinely kind of drives my wife crazy. Because I don't look at my books. I don't look at my finances. I don't, I don't fret and, and stress out over money. I'm the guy that goes, did we pay the tithe? Yep, it went out first. We're good. God's going to take care of it. Because I know I haven't been living like stupid. I've been living according to God's principles. And my faith is in him. I made my faith in him the second I paid my tithe first. And the tithe is literally meant to come out first. And it works like this, okay? Um, yeah, I get paid once a month, and my tithe, is, uh, my tithe comes out first out of my account. After that comes things like a house payment, electric bill, you know, cable and internet, all that fun stuff. You know, all that kind of stuff comes out later, right? But my tithe comes out first, and here's why. Because some of you guys, you're thinking about this, and you're going, Heath, I don't think I have enough money to tithe. I barely have enough money to pay rent. Here's what I figured out a long time ago. If I pay the electric bill first, I've never heard of an electric company help me pay my tithe. But if I pay my tithe first, God's going to help me pay the electric bill. So the question is, who are you placing your faith in whenever it comes to your finances? So whenever I tell you, now, do you understand why I don't have to fret over my finances? Like, I don't have to worry about having what I need because as long as I'm seeking first the kingdom and his righteousness, all these other things will be added. That's what it says in Matthew. And then I go back to a verse like this in Malachi and God says, test me in this. And I'm like, all right, you got it. You're tested. And guys, I'm, I'm 37 years old. I got saved when I was 16. And God's never let me down. God's never let me down. I, I'm, not, I'm not lying, I'm not fudging the truth, I'm not, like, literally. But, but if I can just be honest, this is something that I figured out very, very early on in my faith. 
The Lord taught me this from a godly man very early on. And, and this is just how my wife and I operate. 10% is going to the Lord first and foremost. Then we'll worry about the rest. We'll let God take care of it. It's just, it's just how we operate. It's what we do. <clears throat> we're, get, we're just going to trust God with that. All right. Here's what I do think. Some of you guys are sitting there thinking, Heath, I can't afford to tithe. And that's probably because you've made some bad decisions. It's probably because, like, you know, your internet bill is auto-drafted out of your account. And so it gets auto-drafted. And then once you look at your account, you go, well, I don't have enough money to pay everything. Let me encourage you to prioritize the Lord first, right? Let me encourage you to, if you need to get rid of internet, get rid of internet. If you need to get rid of Netflix, get rid of Netflix, all right? Don't buy the video game. You understand what I'm saying? Like, you take whatever steps are necessary so that you can live according to your means, right where you are. But you do so honoring the Lord. So that means when you get a paycheck, you already know 10% goes to the Lord, 90% is for me. I get to do whatever I want with it. Now, let me say this. Um, Whenever it comes to thinking about generosity and thinking about our finances, let me show you how most people consider planning out their finances. Show the normal financial plan up here for me, okay? Here is the normal financial plan for most people. Most people are going to look at what they got, and they're going to, okay, I need to make a plan for where my money's going. And if you don't know how to budget, ask a life group leader, go YouTube Dave Ramsey, like, Do something. Get smart with your money now, okay? Like, you need to become a good steward of your money now. If you really got questions, come and find me. If you go look at my whiteboard in my office right now, I was helping someone budget just the other day. We were figuring out how many hours she needed to work so that she didn't go into debt this month, okay? So, like, I can help you with this. I'll be glad to help you with this. I think it's part of being a good steward, okay? But let me tell you something. Most people, when they look at their budget, here's what they go. They're going to go, I'm going to look at what I need to live on. How much is my rent? How much is my food bill every month? How much is the internet? How much, you know, are my expenses? How much for Netflix? How much for, you know, gas in my car? Hey, all this kind of stuff. What do I need to live on? How much do I need of my paycheck? How much do I need to set aside to live on? And then they look at how much can I save? How much do I need to save for future expenses? Because, well, I've got, I've got a mission trip coming up. I've got uh, next semester's school expenses. I need, to pay, I need to pay for books next semester. So I need to put a little bit back because I know I've got expenses coming. So they look at how much they need to live and then they, they pull how much is left over that I can save. And then after all that's left over, they go, okay, how much do I have left over for giving? Of course, by this point, all the money's been designated so there's never anything left to give, right? Let me tell you something. This plan right here is why most people never become generous. This plan right here is the plan that keeps, statistically, 93 to 95% of Christians from ever actually tithing faithfully. The first level of giving that God, that God states. Because they live by this plan right here. I'll say this, this is a faithless plan. Show me the next plan. Because here's what I want you to do with that plan. I want you to flip it. I want for you 
to begin to live like generous people live. I want you to begin to think like generous people think. Now, don't be stupid with this, okay? Like, you, you have to be wise, and you need to have a budget before you can actually execute this plan. You got to have a budget, okay? You're intended to be a good steward of your money. The first thing that generous people decide is how much they're going to give. They decide that before their bills ever come running in. So, They decide this now before anything else is paid for. We've already read that God expects us to bring back his 10% back into the church. But the question after that is, what else do you want to give to? What else do you want to give to? Would you be willing now to prayerfully decide how much more you would be willing to give no matter how much you make? Would you be willing now to decide on a percentage That no matter how much I make from here for the rest of my life, I'm not just going to give the 10%. I'm going to give over and above the 10% at this amount. God, no matter how much money you bring into my hands, I promise this amount will always get through me. It doesn't come to me. I'm going to figure out how you want for me to give that extra percentage. And I'm going to give that amount. My wife and I made this decision years ago. Um, Just about every mature, generous, godly family that I know actually has already determined a percentage over and above their tithe that they are going to give to God no matter how much comes in or how little comes in. That's up to, up to the Lord. So if I get paid $1,000 next month, this percentage is coming out of $1,000. If I make ten grand this month, next month that same percentage is coming out and that's going to the Lord and that's over and above their 10% tithe that's how generous people think that's where I learned it from so my wife and I have already decided there's a percentage amount that we give over and above our tithe that's going to go towards things like missions towards things like you guys going on a missions trip towards things like feeding kids towards things like convoy of hope whatever So we love giving to missionaries. We understand that that it is our job as the children of God to support missions projects that are literally going across the world to take the gospel where it has not been. That is our job to get them there. If we don't go, we give. Does that make sense? It's up to us. So my wife, we've already dedicated a certain amount to give towards godly things. That amount has already been been set. Okay, let, let me be clear here too. If you want to decide what to do with your money, it should actually be your money that you're giving. Okay? Does that make sense? So it needs to be yours, right? It needs to be money that you earned before you get to decide what to do with it. Or it needs to be money that you've been given. No strings attached, right? Before you get to decide what, you, what you're to do with it. If your parents are not Christians, right? And they're giving you money for school. And you go, yeah, but um, guys, I'm going to give 10% of that to the church. Listen, you don't have a right to do that. You didn't earn that money. You have, to, you have to treat that money the way they want you to treat that money. It needs to be your money before you decide what you do with it. Okay? Does that make sense? All right? I, I have to say that because I understand. I've been where you're at. Parents will help you out. Grandparents will help you out. But oftentimes there's stipulations connected with that money. I'm giving you $1,000 to help you with school this semester. That $1,000 needs to go to school, not towards a missions project. Okay? You've got to be honorable with the money that you receive. All right? Um, 
So we decide how much we're going to give, all right? And, and I would say this, the money that you give shouldn't be visas money, right? Don't put it on a credit card. It, it, it actually needs to be your money, okay? We, we don't go into debt to do things for the Lord. The Lord has still got the God that owns cattle on a thousand hills. I promise you, he doesn't need your money to get his job done, all right? He's a big God, okay? He doesn't need you to go into debt to make that happen, okay? Um, so we decide what we give, and then we're going to decide how much we need to save. We decide how much we give, then we decide how much we need to save. So those who are generous make plans to be generous. Those who are generous make plans to be generous. They don't wait until there's an urgent need to start saving for that need. Does that make sense? Oh, Heath, man, I, you know what? Uh, I don't, we'll use the tire illustration. I had a blowout. Man, I don't get paid till next Friday. I need 100 bucks to pay for a new tire. Well, if I at that point decide to start saving $100, how many of you know that's not going to help the person that needs a tire today? Right? So people who are generous make plans to be generous. They begin to save. Truly generous people make plans for generosity, so they'll put money aside. Before it's spent anywhere else, they'll put money aside, and they'll wait for the opportunity to give. They'll wait for the right opportunity to give. And I'll say this, generous people aren't people who are constantly in need. Because some of you guys got those friends, it's like they don't, you know, they just suck your wallet dry, right? Every time you take them out to eat, oh man, I forgot my wallet, you know, hey, I'm broke, can you cover me? That, that's not, can I tell you something? That's not salt and light, all right? We're meant to be generous, not takers, right? It's better to give than to receive, right? So we want to be the ones who are buying meals, not taking meals, right? Do you understand? So we want to be able to save for what we need plus what others need. So I get it. Some of you guys are pretty smart financially, and you've already figured out how much you need to save for books for this summer because you're taking some summer courses or how to pay for those summer classes. You've been saving for that. But what you didn't consider is, man, could I put back an extra hundred bucks in case one of my friends wants to go on a missions trip and I could help them get there? Does that make sense? Because generous people are making plans to be generous, right? They're making plans to be generous. Then, after they've decided what they're going to give and what they're going to save, they figure out how much they have to live on, and they live accordingly. They live accordingly. They don't spend too much on rent. They don't spend too much on, you know, food, on restaurants. They, they don't, if they can't afford internet, they hang out at ASU a whole lot, right? <laughs> they see what's left over, and then they decide how they're going to live based on what's left over. I will tell you something. This is a faith-filled plan for living a generous life. And this is the kind of plan that the Lord has never let me down on. This is the kind of plan that, that, that even, when, even when my wife and I have given money away and our savings went down, the Lord never failed us. Do you understand? Like, that, that, that's how this thing works. I, I remember um, the, the pastor of this church, uh, Pastor Landon, um, he used to drive this, this old, like, junky, like, Jeep Cherokee, okay? Because somebody gave it to him, all right? This old blue, like, Jeep had a thousand miles, and dude, it was like straight gangster. You sat in it, and you had to sit like this, right? Like, it was like, it was. He, luckily, he was a big dude, you know? So, like, the seat leaned back like this, and he didn't mind, you know? I got in it, and I'm like, I can't reach the steering wheel, you know? The seat didn't move. It was broke. So, it was pretty junky. But, when he went, whenever he um, had the opportunity to go buy another car, 
He didn't trade that car in. He actually gave it to somebody else. And I, just, I thought that was so cool. Somebody gave that car to him. He gave it to someone else. That's the heart of a generous person, isn't it? They, they, they recognize what the Lord has done for them and they respond in generosity. You know, um, I have an aunt that a couple years ago, we're sitting around Thanksgiving. We always have Thanksgiving at her house and um, we're sitting around the table and we were talking about getting ready for Christmas shopping because like, how many of you guys know at Christmas you got to save up some money so you can be generous, you know, one day a year. Um, <laughs> and like, and so like, we're talking about kind of saving up money. My aunt turns around and she's like, she's like, I got all my Christmas shopping done. It's like, what? It's not even Thanksgiving yet. It's like, yeah, I'm done. I've been shopping all year. Like, you were crazy, woman. Like, I don't know. You know, like, but, but it occurred to me, like, we do so much to save up for, like, Christmas so that we can be generous on Christmas, right? But what if we, like my aunt, decided that we were just going to be generous all year long and we were just constantly saving up? with this heart of generosity because God might actually give us the opportunity, not just on Christmas, not just on a birthday, but just any other time. God might bring us the opportunity to be generous in a moment. And because we've been living according to this plan, and because we've been planning for generosity, we were actually able to respond to the opportunity. See, generous people aren't generous because... They waited on an opportunity to be generous. They plan to be generous long before the opportunity presents itself. And I'll say this. Why why do I keep kind of going back to this? I'll say this. This is exactly what your God did for you. Because 2,000 years ago, God so loved the world, he gave. And before, he, before you ever accepted forgiveness from him, he purchased your forgiveness. Before you ever accepted new life from him, he purchased your new life. Before you ever accepted Jesus, Jesus gave all. That's the generous heart of God that we see in our history, in each one of us. And I think the only, reason, the only way that we have to respond tonight is to respond in generosity. That's the only appropriate response for us. Will you give him your life? Will you give him your heart? And if you do, well, this next question becomes really easy to answer. If you'll give him your life and you'll give him your heart, money's not an issue. You'll give him your money too. It's pretty easy. Jesus said, where your treasure is, I'll find your heart also. Man, when your heart is in this and it's full of the love of God and you recognize the love that God has given you, you recognize what you've been given, how generous God has been towards you, there is no other response than to give generously. Amen?